now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Chelsea Odner, who is the Vice President of Publishing for the Swedenborg Foundation and an expert Q&A panelist from the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, which is also about Swedenborg's information. Chelsea, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. All right. If you don't mind, can we first talk about your lucid dream where you encountered your deceased mother? Yes. Yes. So my mother died when I was 10 years old of uh, a glioblastoma. So one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancer, inoperable. She was diagnosed in May and she died in November. So a six month Mm. fast uh, decline. And um, so I was 10 years old and I have been raised with this Swedenborgian viewpoint of understanding the reality of the afterlife, that it's right there and that there's no time between when our spirit stops living in our body, then it becomes awake to the next life uh, at the time of death. And so I had this sense of, I know she's around and I don't know if that prepared me in a way for these dreams that I had, but in, I think it was the summer after she died. Uh, But over the course of that next year, I actually had a series of lucid dreams of my mother. And I would go through, it was an interesting experience, even as a child, like I remember it so vividly, I would be in a dream. And then I would come into lucidity, and then have some awareness about my uh, mother that I could find her how it started was I had been having this dream of going to Burger King with friends and I had this burger and I somehow this like stone staircase opened up in my house and I went down into this dungeon and somehow I had this sense of, I know if I leave this, leave this burger for my mom and I come back and see if it's been eaten, then she'll be, I know I can find her. I know Mm. I can connect to her. It was some weird uh, perception around that. And so I had another dream where I came into lucidity in my dream and went and found that same sort of secret staircase in my house and went down into it and found crumbs, you know, evidence mm-hmm. that my mom had come and had this food that I had left for her. And when I, so I was so excited and I came running back up the stairs to find her knowing like she's somewhere, her spirit is somewhere in the house. And in actual fact, I knew that that night my dad had a group over and they were meeting in our living room. And so I distinctly felt like I knew I was still asleep in my bed in my bedroom, but my spirit was moving around my house. And I went into the living room and saw my mom her in spirit leaning over the back of the chair, uh, I think where my dad was sitting and sort of listening in on this on this friendly you know, conversation that was going on. And, uh, and she looked and saw me and there was this excitement of like, we noticed each other. And, um, and then these dreams kept happening where it would be like, she would come to our house and I would come into lucidity in my dreams and know that she was there and go find her. And there were a couple different places in my house where she was. And as the dream, as these, the series went on, when I would see her, 
she seemed to change. Like when I first saw her, she was very much like her healthy self at the age that she was when she died. So before she had had the brain cancer. Um, and then the next time I saw her, she seemed to glow and her hair had gone from like a darkish reddish brown to more of this like golden orange that almost was shining. And when she spoke to me at this next time that I saw her, her voice came out like chiming bells. And yet I understood what she was saying to me. And she was talking about in that moment, she was saying, you can't hug me right now, actually, like, because of, I guess my sense was because of the state that she was in, like, and I was too much of an earthly state and she was in much more of like this heavenly state. Um, but she intimated to me in that moment, like meet me in the next room. So we go mm -hmm. to the next room and she was there and had sort of the glow had come down somewhat. And I knew that I was allowed to run and hug her at that moment. So I remember running and hugging to her, uh, hugging her. And um, there, there wasn't a lot that was covered in these moments of interaction. It was just like seeing her, having a, a sense of connection. Um, and that was so meaningful. And then this whole series sort of culminated in me having this, uh, unlike anything else, it was more of like a spiritual experience or I even describe it. It's like so similar to some near-death experiences that it's uh, it seems beyond just a lucid dream um, where I remember going to sleep, feeling very tired. And it was actually in the middle of the day. I was taking a nap. And as soon as I went to sleep, I remember waking up and being in this grove, this sort of clearing in the middle of a forest. And my mom was there. And so at this time, it was clearly not my house anymore. I was in some other reality. And I woke up and was so happy to see her and uh, hugged her and she welcomed me. And then her body started lifting up into the air, literally. And she sort of started drifting off and I was like, wait, you can't leave me. Like, I don't even know where I am. Like, don't, don't leave now. But she said, don't worry. I'll let you know where you need to go. And so she sort of disappeared. And I was in this deep, thick forest that since then I've seen pictures of like forests in Germany. And that's like the closest to what this forest looked like to me, which was like these trees very close together and their roots intertwined moss covered ground and uh I saw a path through the woods so I thought okay I'll just start walking along this path and I came to a split in the path a fork in the road and I had this feeling of like I don't know where to go where should I go and I heard her voice behind me saying like go to your right so she had come back and I was like okay this is how she's going to communicate with me as some sort of telepathy and so I went to the right and this happened a number like two more times where I'd come to a split and I'd have to sort of trust like she's going to let me know which way to go and then when I did it like I think the third time I was walking down this narrow path and then I just saw the path was getting eaten up by this bright light this golden white light and I just had this feeling of, like this is terrifying but I like if I keep going I'm going to walk right into this light and I don't know what's on the other side and, but I just sort of had this feeling of the inevitability. Like I couldn't stop. I wasn't about to turn around. So I'm just like walking into this light and I become completely enveloped in it. And 
I couldn't see anything. Like I went through a process of like, it was too bright to even see. And so my eyes slowly started adjusting. And, um, and I remember, so my mom appeared out of the light coming towards me and she was the most distinct of anybody I saw. Uh, but I got to, you know, hug her and be with her. Like it really felt like I was coming to wherever she was. And, and then these beings of light started forming out of the light around me. They came, came around, like we were all like a gathering was happening. And as like a single being was coming out of the light, as it got closer, it would look like two people. And then there was this sense of like, okay, everybody's here. And that was when the dancing started, when we all started dancing. And like, the idea was that I was coming. Like, that was just what we were going to do was dance together. So I remember having this glorious time dancing with my mom, dancing around in circles and this going on for a long time. And I noticed out of, to my right, that there was this sort of throne of light and way up on top of this throne of light was this being who I understood to be God, uh, the divine. And what I distinctly remember was that this being had bare feet and they were kicking back their feet and laughing with joy. And they reached down into their lap and threw these rose petals up into the air. And the rose petals came and, you know, came down around all of us dancing. Um, and it was just like the, most total joy I you know had ever experienced and and then after a time the dancing came to an end and there was this rain that started to fall and it was like light everywhere there was no landscape it was just like light up above light around us light everywhere but this rain started falling that rather than pooling on the ground it would just get absorbed into the light or into our skin if it fell on us but it was like this calming like okay we're settling down now uh sign essentially and so when things were ending the being started moving away and merging back into the light and leaving just me and my mom and um she i said i don't want to leave i don't want to leave you but she said i have to leave and this is the last time you're going to see me for a long time it was as if all of these dreams, I had sort of had some connection with her as, as I understand it now, she was progressing in her own state in the spiritual world as she was connecting more deeply into heaven. And so at this point, it was like this sense of our states aren't going to allow us to communicate directly. And, and I had this intense sense of foreboding that things were going to get very dark in my life, so dark that I wouldn't have any connection to heaven for a long time um but she told me you're gonna be okay and um at that point that being up on the throne of light reached down lifted me up with its hands and i was like as small as its palm you know i could fit in its two hands and lifted me up into their lap and then laid this blanket of light over top of me and i basically snuggled up with like the most deep uh, sense of safety and fell asleep in this state in this place and then immediately woke up you know in in the natural world in the material world having had this dream and it was so remarkable and I you know I've never forgotten it um, 
and and it was like I never did have another dream of her I sort of had this clear sense of like that was that was it and like I said I was 10 at the time so uh you know my my whole process and like development as a teenager like things did get dark (laughs) through my teens and 20s and uh and just intense intense life stuff and it's been this interesting coming coming back to it or even affirming the reality of it the truth of it you know like knowing that it was true for me um like I definitely could have questioned it uh at times but it felt so real that it was like that is this was an experience I got to meet my mom you know and see her on the other side and and so then interestingly the few times that she has now since appeared to me since I've been an adult and a part of a part of me feels like I needed to come into a sense of like confirmation about what I had experienced from my own freedom you know like it couldn't just be true it was like I had to choose whether I was going to believe that it was true or not and when I became sort of clear in that in my own development then I started to have more of a sense of her presence with me of her appearing to me in dreams and like little snippets coming to sort of offer some perspective uh or support at different moments and um so it's been a really sort of beautiful thing all told that since that time when she first appeared to me those are amazing dreams and thank you for sharing them with us yeah did these dreams happen immediately after she died like I said, I'm almost certain it was the year after she died, mm. that it was sort of in the months following. And then I know that it was like the summertime when I had that nap where I went into the spiritual world. Um, mm. And so I think it all happened within that first year. What I like is there was a continuation of the dreams. Like first on one, you put the burger out. And then second was that continuation of, you know, she eating the burger. Yes. And it was like this back and forth. And I, so, you know, some of those details are hazy of like, did I always leave something in that dungeon? And that was sort of our sign. It was sort of this sense of, I didn't know when it might happen, but I sort of knew that for a lot of time, I had this sort of secret delight in sort of expecting to be surprised sometime of like, maybe mom's going to come visit me tonight. Um, and, and then it, it happened until it finally culminated in that one dream. Yeah. Mm. Can you tell us how you came to Swedenborg's information? Yeah, so um, I was raised in a church denomination that does hold Swedenborg's writings as a source of divine revelation. Hmm. Um, And so Swedenborg, uh, he was writing in the 1700s. He didn't start a church himself. Um, He was really about publishing these books that he wrote for the sake of the church at large, like everybody in the world. <laughs> um, and and then specifically kind of targeting issues that he saw in the Christian church of his day. Um, but very shortly after his death, people were reading his material and finding like, wow, this, this changes how I understand things. I want to connect with other people who are reading this. Let's, you know, sort of worship circles, devotional circles started evolving. Um, and so then there was a, a church that organized around his material in England. And then shortly thereafter, a church organized in America as well. And so that's had a history. And so that uh, I've had, you know, my father and two grandfathers were ministers in this church. Um, and, uh, and so 
then so like I said, I was raised with these teachings, but even Swedenborg writes about this process of what he calls the difference between like historical faith and true faith that like we, it's good for us to be raised with some sort of spiritual like container of ideas that help you understand the world, but it's not true. It's not authentic until you're choosing it, you know, as an adult making sense of it, like, uh, you know, scrutinizing it, deciding, is this really what I believe or what else do I believe? And so the, the beliefs that we choose, uh, authentically are are what really make up our faith like our true faith and um and so I feel like I went through a process where I sort of distanced myself from the faith I was raised in to such an extent I remember feeling like this one concept that Swedenborg writes about which is called divine providence which is like this sense of there being a divine like there is a divine and this divine has this omniscience that can guide everything in the universe toward good that was sort of this like key principle that I held on to uh and that was kind of it then everything else was sort of up to you know be be sort of thought through and turned over and I I've loved I love studying um different religious traditions I've done a lot of studying of yoga philosophy and buddhism and um and I love I I've come back to Swedenborg it was sort of it was in my 20s that I started reading Swedenborg's books for myself myself and not really just how they were taught to me um and it was through that kind of testing the ideas in my own spiritual life that it became a living thing for me it wasn't just like well this is what we believe it was like these are these ideas that help me make sense of my life and make sense of what's going on and give me you know empowerment and agency in my life and in my own mind especially you know just like the craziness of everything in life inside it out and uh so so yeah they've really become this lens through which i see uh the world and understand things and um and they and and that's so i work for the student board foundation you know being able to support it's a independent nonprofit that just supports access and uh you know, reach of, of Swedenborg's ideas so people can consider them for themselves and uh, find benefit if that if that's the case. And uh, so that's that's how I came to it myself. I was thinking that since I already did a video with Curtis on Swedenborg, I was assuming that everybody already knows who Swedenborg is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. there may be somebody that's brand new to this video today or brand new to the channel since Curtis was here. So I was thinking maybe we should tell people just real briefly who was Swedenborg in the first place. Great. Yeah. So his name was Emanuel Swedenborg um, and he lived from 1688 to 1772, right at the time of the enlightenment period. And he was a scientist uh, trained. um, he, He was born in Sweden. He lived in Sweden and he was trained in a university there. And, um, he was people describe him as a polymath um like one of the world's geniuses because he was at the top end of many of the fields uh, in his day like mineralogy um engineering designing mines for swedish for the sweden economy um anatomy was one of his favorite things he was really um and chemistry studying every that he even had a part in establishing the Royal Academy of Sciences in Sweden. Um, And 
he even created the first academic journal in Sweden, the first scientific journal. And so then in his, uh, and he was also ennobled by the queen at one point, his whole family was, so that was, he was born with the last name of Svedbury, but then it became Swedenborg when he was ennobled. Um, in his mid fifties, um, oh, and he, he served in the Swedish government on what was called the board of mines. So it was like the people who managed all the mines in Sweden. Um, he was an assessor of mines. So in his mid fifties, he was doing, again, I said his interest in anatomy. He was wanting to find the seat of the soul and studying the brain. He, he made uh, advanced discoveries about the way the brain works that weren't later confirmed for 50 years, 100 years, 150 years later. Like he described neurons before anybody even knew what electricity was. Um, and uh, he, in his while he was studying for the seat of the soul, he started having dreams. He started having these, he couldn't ignore them, these like intense spiritual experiences in his dreams. Um, and uh, he would write them down in a journal. And so we have this record of his journal of dreams. So just interesting that that connects with our topic, uh, which is the largest uh, and like intact document of dream journaling you know, the oldest one that we have extant in the world, as far as I know, like it's the oldest, biggest collection of somebody writing his dreams weren't just what his dreams were happening, but how he would understand them. So you can sort of study his dreams. And a psychologist named Wilson Van Dusen did this in the like 1980s, I think, you know, kind of tracked how did Swedenborg interpret his dreams. Um, and then he had this vision of connecting with the divine and he was raised uh lutheran and, and so god was jesus christ and appeared to him and um and it was after that that he had this sense of like he was all about serving the divine you know like wanting having he felt like he had this spiritual mission um and that after that his dreams he started connecting to spirits and angels and um rather than just having spiritual experiences in his dreams, he started being able to interact with spirits and angels in his waking life. Um, and, and he felt that it was all for this purpose to write, to basically use his scientific background to study the spiritual world and write down what he experienced because that he was like, that's the seed of the soul. It's like our consciousness in our body. And like our, he describes he, one of his works is called the interaction of the soul and body. You know, how does, uh, how does our soul interact with our physical body? And, um, and that was his mission to document that, uh, because one, um, a belief in the afterlife was falling away. And that was like, that posed a lot of harm for human beings to lose that, uh, sense of connection with, with the spiritual world in the afterlife. And then also, um, losing a sense of connection to the inner spiritual truths that are in the Bible. Um, and so he wrote a lot, uh, like he had direct experience with the spiritual world, but he also got that insight into what everything meant through his study of the Bible and what, like he describes this like deep inner spiritual meaning. Um, so his first work is called secrets of heaven. The first work he published after this, his spiritual awakening and 
um, these secrets of heaven are what he found through this uh, enlightened study of the Bible, basically. Um, that's so when he lived, you know, he had open, constant communication with spirits and angels while still living and having a active life in this world for the remainder of his life. And he lived to be 84 years old. Um, and, and then he passed on. So really remarkable. He published like 18 titles during that time. And those are those, like those works that people study for this spiritual sort of information and everything. It's interesting that you belong to a church and there is a church that I guess you would say preaches Swedenborg's teachings. Right. What is That's the name right. of the church? Yes. Yeah, so there's a number of church organizations now. Um, there is one that's called the Swedenborgian Church of North America, and that's a, a very liberal Christian organization. Um, and then there's also the church that I was raised in, that's the General Church of the New Jerusalem, is what it's called. Um, and that's a much more uh, conservative church. It has its own unique history that I uh, have grappled with. And, um, and then there's... Uh, basically the the key words you want to be looking out for is the new church that's often what these churches will refer to themselves as or something having to do with the new jerusalem and those that's because those are ways that swedenborg wrote about this concept of the new church that really uh you it's really sort of denoting a spiritual era he was describing like this time when people's spiritual understanding was going to totally grow uh, exponentially. He writes about how it's like he had this vision of a, of a temple. And for him, every little detail is symbolic of something. And he writes about how he says, now it is permitted to enter with understanding into the mysteries of faith. So he describes that sort of for a lot of, you know, we're all sort of conne connected and interconnected and sort of there has been, you could say spiritual pollution sort of interfering with our ability to access the reality, you know, spiritual truths about heaven, but that when he was writing, he was saying, this is a time when this is all going to change. And there's going to be a lot more just light from the spiritual world coming into human minds um, and being able to sort of reawaken this connection between us in this world and our the communities in the spiritual world and heaven and everything. From what you were saying, it sounds like there's already different interpretations of Swedenborg's yes. work because oh, yes. there's yes. a conservative and a liberal. Exactly. Exactly. It's so fascinating. And even at the beginning, right after Swedenborg wrote his works, um, there was a lot of wrestling between different groups about whether to start a church at all. And there were people who were called non-separatists at the time who who were like let's not try to force people to separate from the their churches from like the organizations and faith that they already have uh because if if you do that that's actually sort of tarnishing swedenborg's whole point you know like what he was about so there are people who are really strongly against having any sort of devoted uh organization i think for fear of sort of claiming that that was the new church rather than having this much larger sort of cosmic sense of what of what the new church was in the world so mm -hmm. really interesting it seems i'm a history person i love studying the history so i find it super fascinating it seems like you're on the side of the liberal interpretation <laughs> yes 
<laughs> yes, I am. And even, and even I wonder about, uh, I've always been interested in what Swedenborg writes about, uh, how even, I sort of think of it as like, it, Swedenborg is writing about spiritual reality. And this spiritual reality is what you can come into an understanding of through any through any faith tradition, you know, like if it's spiritual reality and it is the divine, then the divine is revealing itself to us all the time. And so sort of faiths and different religious traditions are, are different ways that we understand, you know, and can connect to, and can connect to God. So it's a really interesting position for me to be in. I feel a little bit like an independent, you know, rogue agent, if you will, or something, because on the one hand, my faith is certainly very informed by Swedenborg's teachings. So that's sort of like my religious identity. And yet it's sort of way beyond that. You know, it's like so much more because it's sort of a more universal perspective. So. Since Swedenborg wrote about dreams, how would he analyze your dreams or what would be his interpretation? Would he think that you really met your mother or it was just your imagination? Yes. Oh, great question. Um, Swedenborg writes about there being different types of dreams. And uh, and interestingly, his own example suggests even a fourth dream, but he type, he describes um, one that he calls prophetic visions. So that's how he describes this is what, you know, people in the Bible were experiencing. The, the prophets was like, whether you're in a wakeful state or in a, a sleep, there's sort of these prophetic visions that are revelatory you know they they are giving you revelation or telling you of things to come um and and again that sort of revelation depends on our ability you know the kind of spiritual pollution you could say that can kind of get in the way and gunk up the 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 communication routes but um that's one kind the other kind he says are what are called spiritually instructive dreams so we have dreams that might present us with different scenarios, but there's sort of a, a lesson, a very personalized instruction for our own lives through the dream, through the symbology of the dream. Um, the other type um, is we can basically sort of overhear spiritual conversations or conversations that spirits and angels are having, but it kind of gets filtered down into our subconscious and kind of adapts or adopts the, uh, ideas or pictures in our own memory um but so what so he experienced saying he was having some weird dream but he was able to become lucid in his dream and in, in his hit in his case he was had open communication with angels and spirits and he describes being able to have conversations with the angels and spirits that could confirm for him that yeah we were talking about this and that totally just gave you that dream you just had um and uh so that's Oh, but he does describe that there are even, so we're very, sort of the backdrop of all of this is that we're very connected to the spiritual world and that our minds, we couldn't even actually think or feel anything if it weren't for our connection to angels and spirits. That's, that's something Swedenborg learned through his experiences that he writes a lot about. And, and so knowing that, and he called, he gives a word for that. He wrote in Latin and it's a very sort of Latin, Latinate word, but he describes it as influx. And so that you can sort of think of that as being inflow, that our thoughts and feelings are actually the result of this continual inflow from the spiritual world into our consciousness. 
Um, and we still have our own sense of self, you know, like we, our own thoughts and feelings, but it's this whole uh, machinery, if you will, for how it's interacting with spirits and angels and how communities in the spiritual world sort of influence each other. Um, and, uh, and so our dreams are also interconnected with that, with that network. Um, and so I think for my experience that, uh, that they, that Swedenborg would just be like, yep, that's definitely you connecting with your mom, that, that he, I think he would probably say there was imagery. Like it would be interesting to understand why were they rose petals, you know, that were falling around us and what was that rain all about? But, uh, cause it's all about, there is symbology going on, but he certainly also talks about being able to, that, that actually part of the design was for our community to extend beyond this world. So that even as we're growing up in this world, we're aware of sort of the spiritual mentorship that we can have that's available to us through spirits and angels um, and angels of heaven, especially who are wanting to help us grow and develop as, you know, into our truest selves. And um, he describes that was a much more commonplace thing in sort of ancient civilizations, he says, on Earth, where... um, if you weren't already just having waking life interaction with angels and spirits in your life, you would, they would come to you in dreams and you would get spiritual instruction or like advice. One of the other times that my mom appeared to me in my dreams later on in my late twenties, I think was I was really stressing about something that was going on in my life. And I sort of saw her in this room in my house and, um, she just did this littlest sort of thing where she sort of like threw her head back and acted like so over-exaggeratedly like, oh, how horrible it is that what you're, what you're going through, that like this simple action spoke so much to me about how it was like, just like, take it easy, Chell. You don't have to be so worried. It's going to be okay. Like kind of shake it off. And um, so I love hearing about people like I just think that that's sort of a resource that is designed to be available to us that the angels loved ones who have passed on kind of want to help us uh cope with life and dreams um you know Swedenborg even gives sort of a framework for why it would happen through dreams is because when we're awake in this world our senses are attuned to physical things you know like I have to kind of know how the physical world works like how to accelerate and decelerate in my car, you know, the fact of like how this equipment works, but that attention to the physical world kind of shallows or mutes our awareness of the spiritual inflow that's going on from the spiritual world in our minds. And that's why uh, meditation is so beneficial, but that then in dreams, you know, it's a pre-designed time when our focus on the physical world goes dormant and then we can be awake to to the spiritual realities around us. Are you saying that Swedenborg believed that dreams are necessary for our spiritual growth? Yes and no. I think they're available to us to be a resource for our spiritual growth. He describes, um, and a term that Swedenborg uses for spiritual growth is, it's a very sort of Christian sounding word, but it's regeneration, you know, or this process of rebirth. So whether... Uh, but you could think of it as just like our own spiritual awakening, you know, like our process of growing up and developing into our true self. Um, and 
the divine is always leading us in that process, whether we're kind of awake to it or not. And, and so that, and, and the point of any regeneration, what that really is, is according to Swedenborg is connecting to love and wisdom, but specifically uniting those two in ourselves. Like, and like the divine itself is the union of love and wisdom together. Swedenborg says like divine love and divine wisdom that are one. That's, that's the divine. Um, that's God. And so as we unite love and wisdom together in ourselves um, and in our lives, that's us opening up to heaven, you know, opening up to a divine inflow. Um, and so through just the experiences of our life, we're all being guided toward uniting love and wisdom in our lives. Um, and that can be accomplished through a very simple life. You know, it doesn't require a whole lot of spiritual gymnastics, but we do have dreams and other experiences available to us, resources that as much as we want to engage in that process or wake up to these inner levels of our mind, that's, that's possible. So I wouldn't say it's totally necessary, but it's like, it's an advantage and it uh, is awesome. You know, <laughs> like if it's, if that's your cup of tea, there's, you can go really deep there, but if you're sort of, eh, no, thanks. It doesn't like cut you off from, you know, being able to connect to love and wisdom in your, in your life. You know. What about nightmares? Did he say anything about those? Yeah. So um, he says some interesting things about nightmares. Um, well, well, it's two things mainly. One is that um, he says we are extra protected in our sleep from the attack of evil spirits. And, but that evil spirits would love to be attacking us in our sleep. And, but so that, angels uh and angelic spirits or whatever are sort of protecting us around that um and and then he also describes a kind of dream that he calls sort of delusions and i don't know if he means sort of like hallucinations or what that is so he's never like quite saying the word nightmare i mean he's also writing in latin in the 1700s so you sort of have to do some uh piecing together and so i've come to this uh, what I find is a really satisfying perspective on nightmares from what I've studied in Swedenborg, um, which is that they are almost the most potent vessels for spiritual information for our lives. Like sometimes, you know, dreams can be the best wake up call um, for us. And I've used this practice in my own life where when you have a nightmare, what you really are experiencing that feels so horrible when you wake up from it are the feelings that are still reverberating in your body. You know, so if you're just gripped with fear, you know, or uh, terror or whatever, whatever that is, um, you're so in the feeling of it. And I take that as a message to pay attention, you know, because first of all, you know, you're safe, right? Like even if it was this crazy convincing dream, chances are you're actually just safe and you have to wait till those feelings calm down in your nervous system. Um, and, but it's enough of a feeling that it's almost like your body being like, pay attention, don't forget this. You know, it's like a really clear uh, 
you sort of can't ignore it. You know, you can't just like, oh, whatever, I'll, that was a weird dream. Let's forget about it. Um, so I use the feelings as like a, let's pay attention to this. And I might write down all everything that happened in the dream thoroughly. But then I wait to look at it until those feelings are gone. They're out of my body, you know, because then I can reflect on the dream from a spiritual perspective, you know, without being just in the terror of it. Um, and, and when I've done that, so then when I go through my dream and I ask myself, like, what is this telling me about my life? And especially about that, like, the goal of everything, which is to unite love and wisdom, you know, at, which is also to say to sort of clear ourselves of falsity or evil is a word you can use which can really just mean like ways that you're harming yourself or other people you know like what's this this guy what guidance could be available in this dream and so often i don't know if you lick if you think back on a nightmare after the feeling is over it just is so absurd you know it's almost comically ridiculous like first of all why was that even scary to me you know so often the imagery is like sort of just silly or something but for some reason in the dream it really scared you um and it's usually really bizarre but when i sort of take take those images and then wonder like what is it telling me about my life um i've found really really perceptive really clear instruction or communication or guidance around like here's this thing in your life and maybe you're not, maybe you're trying to deny it, but this is what's going on in your life right now. You know, like really the most powerful mirror for, for my life. Um, and, and so it's certainly possible, like people might be concerned, how do you know if you're getting the right message? You know, like what if you're, you know, spiraling off into just false interpretation, you know, of your dream. And I would say, remembering that main thing of how how could I use this dream to to teach me more about how to unite love and wisdom in my life like how to connect to what's most loving in life or a wisdom could really just be mean like an awareness a true perception of what's going on um and and then also trusting that concept I said of like divine providence like knowing that God's going to take care of leading you through whatever this is and so if you're sort of if you're uniting those things like thinking about wanting to create this trajectory towards uniting love and wisdom then whatever the details are that you come up with it's going to be helpful for your life and and you might find that your these dreams these weird things that are happening inside your head are actually like very well attuned very precise they know you to your core and even know how you're uh, maybe lying to yourself, you know, like so often nightmares wake you up to like, oh, I've just really not been wanting to acknowledge that in my life, but I really can't anymore. And I know that it would be good if I like change my behavior or something in a relationship or whatever it is. So, uh, so that's, and I guess one note to that is that the word that describes everything of what we do with our dreams is reflection. You know, we reflect on our dreams. And Swedenborg says that the way that ancient peoples on our earth were had open communication with angels and spirits was through their reflection on physical things around them and their own dreams, you know, the own images and things that were arising in their consciousness. So those that is sort of our pathway of, you know, connecting to heaven, connecting to the divine and 
continuing on our journey. I felt like from your story or your experience that you had a period of self-doubt about whether the dream was real or not. And then Mm -hmm. at some point you came to a realization that it was real. How did you and other people come to the realization that their dreams are real? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So, um, like I mentioned earlier on there, what, what I love about what Swedenborg writes is I feel like he gives us a sense of like, this is spirit. Here's how spiritual reality works. And once you sort of have these building blocks in your mind, then you're able to think about, uh, spiritual reality in a way and it kind of and it just ends up and life in this world and it sort of starts making sense um or it has for me and one of those principles or ideas is like our how key our free will is like our choice what we choose for ourselves is really how we like that that's like the biggest thing in our lives in this world is becoming ourselves you know like becoming an or one way I would say it is like becoming who we are in God like this partnership between the divine and you as this unique expression of divine love and wisdom you know that you are this vessel for that and um and so because our freedom is so key to us developing ourselves because if it weren't anything somebody else says if we just went along with it, that would be just us, you know, just going along with everybody else and not really having a clear sense of who, of who we are. And so, like I said, when I was studying Swedenborg's works in my early twenties, early to mid twenties, and I was just like voraciously, like, I just had an insatiable appetite for studying this spiritual uh, information. And um, something I really got was that that's nobody's ever going to answer this question for me is is it all real or is it not real you know nobody's ever what one if you think it's real that that doesn't mean anything to me you know because that's a choice you've made and so uh for me first of all getting like we struggle with these questions like what is real is this all true is it all fake and especially for me even wondering about how do i even what is my religious identity you know but so it's so deeply connected to who we are is what we believe um and scrutinizing our beliefs because so often we have beliefs that don't actually make sense you know that we maybe don't like are just carryover from things we were told and they might actually be you know uh negatively influencing our lives so the importance of us really going through and then choosing for ourselves what am i going to believe that's like key to our development and uh, nobody can make that choice for you. Like that's work that you have to do. And so when it came to my experience with my mom and then even just whole questions of like, what do I think of even what Swedenborg wrote? What do I think of what anybody tells me of what's true, uh, religiously speaking or something? Um, that I got to this point of like, I just have to choose for myself. And if I, and like, and then own that choice be like this is what I'm choosing to believe but then even not gripping to belief you know like knowing that the whole idea of what is true is this ongoing revelation that we are experiencing in our own lives you know like because what I thought was true 10 years ago 15 years ago my depth of understanding has developed you know a lot since then and so 
20 years from now, my sense of what I think is true might change, but I think it's a progression. And, but the only way we participate in that progression is by like, I'm just going to choose to believe this, you know, and taking that empowered action. Um, and knowing that I have the freedom to reassess, change my mind later, you know, like that's, so I've, I've been participating in that way, you know, like being like, well, I'm going to just see what I think. I'm going to say, this is, this is true for me now, you know, believing in God, believing in the reality of my connection with loved ones in the afterlife, believing in what Swedenborg wrote about the afterlife. And, um, that, that is a framework for understanding life that has never let me down. You know, it's always, it's always expanded my sense of the divine. And, and yet, you know, like I said about the church I was raised in, there's a lot of sort of teachings I absorbed from that church, even though it was a Swedenborgian church, but I've had to cull what ideas I got from them, you know, in terms of certain ones that are just like, no, that is not like, I can feel the difference between what kind of shuts my mind down, shuts my life down and what opens it up and gives more possibility, you know, in connecting me with joy, this sense of, you know, a connection to the divine. And so knowing that there's this process going on where, uh, like that I can be connecting into those truths, but that's, um, it's, you know, it's going to be up to you to make the choice, you know, one way, but that can always be a, an evolution. Did Swedenborg make his own analysis of the dreams of the Bible? And if so, like, for example, the Pharaoh's nightmares in Genesis, what did he say about that? He does. And his, his understanding of, uh, of those of a lot of basically the whole Bible, whether it's like somebody saying they had a dream or just the actual story of the Bible itself. Um, it is all very detailed in terms of its, um, what it's conveying on a spiritual level. Um, and, and so I don't have in mind specifically like Joseph and Pharaoh and those interesting dreams or like Nebuchadnezzar, but he describes them as being, um, uh, you know, it's all of the details end up being a story of our own spiritual development, or then he describes Jesus Christ's uh, process of being born as a human and uniting to the divine in himself. So in those, in those processes mirror each other, according to Swedenborg. And so he describes like Jesus studying the Bible and getting insight into the process of connecting with the divine um, that he was living through. Um, but one, one interesting um, example of sort of biblical interpretation, according to Swedenborg, that actually kind of connects to dreams is what Swedenborg says about Moses when he saw the burning bush. And see, this gives you a taste of how specific Swedenborg gets in in the details um because he he takes it by like phrase by phrase and so when moses sees this burning bush he says uh you know i'm gonna go aside and look at this you know bush that's burning and it's not being consumed you know he sees this and and the story goes that swedenborg sees this burning bush goes to it 
and then hears God speaking to him through the burning bush and um and uh and so Swedenborg says that that going aside and seeing means reflecting you know uh reflecting on our own thoughts actually even like so that detail and that when we reflect on our own thoughts then we gain perception and and Swedenborg uh, I mean Moses in the story he says I'm going to go inside and see this great vision and so taken all together that simple phrase means that when we reflect on our thoughts we can gain perception about what uh what love and wisdom are essentially and that's what's depicted by the flaming light you know the light that the heat and the light is the love and the wisdom and so anyway just like a super simple snapshot of how detailed um Swedenborg's ex- explication is of the bible and but I sort of loved that really simple picture of somebody looking aside to this burning bush and that encapsulating the power that we have to reflect on our thoughts and then gain perception on what love and wisdom really are like that's that's really empowered you know that we have that ability to uh to do that to gain that revelation i mean like revelation is understanding what love really is and what wisdom is so um anyway that's a thought on that does swedenborg say anything about near-death experiences i mean i'm sure he wouldn't use those words but you know being close to death and having a meeting with the divine or angels and coming back to life yes that's really again such great questions you're asking and um i would say like a lot of people have found affirmation and confirmation in their experiences of near death near death experiences through studying swedenborg and what he wrote um you know one of his most famous works is called heaven and hell um and uh and although i'm not sure if swedenborg describes you know near-death experiences it lines up so much with just what all of us experience when we die that then you can sort of derive this sense of a near-death experience really being somebody beginning that process of transitioning over but then coming back you know having it not be the right time and that sort of thing but so the what we all experience when we die um Swedenborg described for sort of the for posterity's sake being given the experience of dying while some part of his consciousness remaining observant so he could uh remember the experience and write it down detail by detail and so he gets and that's that's actually where the name of our channel off the left eye comes from uh because through this process um he describes what happens when we die and again the symbology is there so we put that at a later point um or I guess sort of the specifics you might need to know is like uh similar to being in dreams he says we're super protected by angels um like the highest angels and the highest angels mean those that are most connected to love itself you know and wisdom itself and so they offer this protection from any evil spirits uh coming near us as we transition over and while we're sort of like having this oneness with angels of the highest heaven and sort of being in this experience of love um that helps us make the transition and then our consciousness has to kind of come down from that to sort of regain our uh you know turning on our 
mind again that can you know understand language you know you're not just in this pure feeling experience of love um and uh when he he says that transition from that super love state to being able to see spirits and angels and talk to them he described this um veil or film being rolled off of his left eye and so sort of then him having this spiritual awareness of being able to see in the spiritual world after um that sort of marks the completion of the transition over um and swedenborg describes it so everybody wakes up in what he calls the world of spirits which is a realm that's in between heaven and hell he says where it's like everybody because and when you're in the world of spirits you you know you're bringing all your memory from your life uh and and you're maybe not fully clear on what what you really love you know who you really are um and what he says people go through when they're in the world of spirits is very much like many of the near-death experiences where loved ones greet us loved ones are sort of the first ones to be there um to welcome us on the other side and then also whether it's loved ones or other people or spirits and angels who feel like family to us, but we've maybe never even met them. Um, they sort of spiritual kin, they welcome us and then ask us, what do you want to know about? You know, like then there's a whole sort of teaching and instruction time where people can learn and have all these questions answered, um, which uh, I know is another, you know, common experience in, in near death um, experiences. And so, um, a lot of those different elements, even though he's not sort of making a one-to-one -one or talking about it explicitly, it all sort of suggests this larger context of like, okay, yeah, if that's how the spiritual world works, then it would make sense that when people get near death, their spirit is able to just sort of transition over, spend some time out of the body. And whether it's really time to go over or not, you know, then they, they might come back or, or be transitioning over entirely. Right, Chelsea. Well, time went by really fast during this podcast, yeah. <laughs> and I need to change gears with you. Um, your YouTube channel, again, is called Off the Left Eye. That's right. Um, if people want to find out more about Swedenborg, what is the website to do so? Yep, Swedenborg.com. So that's Sweden, like the country Sweden, Borg, B-O-R-G, Swedenborg.com. That's the Swedenborg Foundation's website. Um, and we have... Uh, one of the projects of the Swedenborg Foundation is, like I said, Swedenborg wrote in Latin. So we have a team of uh, Latin translators who are retranslating Swedenborg's works for a modern audience to be accessible. You know, so a number of, you know, sometimes you're reading translations that were translated into English back in the 1800s or something. And you're like, oh, this isn't exactly, <laughs> I don't feel a connection happening here. Um, and so these new translations that we're coming out with uh, really kind of clear, clear the way for you to be able to just like have direct access with the ideas that Swedenborg's describing. And all of those books, uh, are available on our website. Um, those are the ones in the new century edition that have come out so far and there's a number of them. And so, yeah, people can explore that there. Well, you're the vice president of publishing and you appear on the YouTube channel. What else are you That's doing right. that you want us to know about? Oh, <laughs> let's see. Um, well, we host an annual event that is called the Off the Left Eye Experience, uh, which we've done it a 
uh, we did it virtually. We were planning on doing the first one in 2020, but then that got canceled. Um, so we did a virtual one last year, but this year we're doing it in person um, with a virtual option from June 24th to the 26th. And so it's an immersive experiential weekend to think about these ideas and connect with other people and talk about it. And so our theme for this year is the spiritual world around us. And that uh, is, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna have some great talks and um, experiences and it's being hosted if you wanna come in person, it's being hosted in a town called Bernathen, Pennsylvania that is historically a Swedenborgian town because it has its roots back to those, uh, the history that I was describing earlier on. So it, one of the interesting hallmarks of Bernathen is it has a cathedral that was built in like 1920s or something entirely with uh, wanting to like basically create architecture based on Swedenborg's ideas of symbology and all this kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting uh, thing to check out if you're ever coming by this area, but that's where we're hosting. This town is where we're hosting the off the left experience. And it'd be great to have anybody come in. Registration, I think, is now live and open. So you can find that either on Swedenborg.com or we have a website off the left um, that also has the information. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, should they do that through your YouTube channel or some other way? Yeah. So we do have an awesome team of, um, our community care team. So there are people who are always responding to our comments on YouTube. So any video that we have on our YouTube channel, if you leave a comment there, you'll get a response. If anybody wants to connect directly with me, uh, my email is crodner, my last name, at Swedenborg.com. And so that's also available to anybody. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I would say it is trusting the process that our spiritual development things can happen in life that feel chaotic that it's going nowhere uh you know that things are getting worse but that one of the divine's you know best tricks is being able to take things that cause our suffering and turn them you know almost like turning it into gold making it become something that's going to bless us uh with love and with greater wisdom and and that a part of our spiritual growth, it has to go through these alternations of feeling a connection to that love and wisdom, and then not. Swedenborg describes that as like going through phases of cold and heat, just like we do seasonally. And so we have that example around us all the time and day and night. And so when you're going through day and nights in your life, know that that's exactly the process that's going to help you on your, on your, in your life journey to having fulfillment and happiness. Chelsea, thank you for that message. I really appreciate you being my guest today and I wish you the best. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. It was such a pleasure to get to meet you and talk with you. And yes, this time flew by. It was so much fun. Likewise. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.